Welcome to the UN and Organised Crime podcast series from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Ian Tennant. In this episode, we will be speaking about a country where organised crime has had an undeniably overwhelming impact on the government and on society in general, including the assassination of a president and the dominance of gangs over large swathes of the country, especially its capital. We're talking about Haiti. The UN Security Council has decided to respond with a sanctions regime against criminal actors and with an unorthodox multilateral response, a multinational mission led by police from Kenya and a selection of other countries. This mission is a high stakes move in a quite desperate situation and the prospects for success are quite hard to calculate at this point. But one thing is clear from our perspective is that the importance of prioritizing human rights and community engagement cannot be overstated. We are delighted to be joined today on this podcast episode by Bill O'Neill, the UN's designated expert for the human rights situation in Haiti. So Bill, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a bit more about the, the role of the designated expert and what it entails? Thank you very much, Ian. It's a pleasure to be with you. My job basically is to help support, complement, in whatever ways makes sense, the work of BNU human rights team that is on the ground in Haiti every day, and also the people working on the Haiti human rights crisis from the Geneva base of the High Commissioner's office and also in New York at headquarters. And I'm, I live in New York, so I'm actually in and out of the headquarters building a couple times a week for meetings, which is important for Haiti, given that what you just said also, the creation and we hope the soon arrival of a multinational police force to help the Haitian National Police try to tackle the gangs. I have independence so I can move around, have meetings, speak out in a way that isn't too encumbered by bureaucracy. So that's probably the one of the better parts of this post. Thank you, Bill. And since being appointed as a designated expert, you've undertaken, as I understand it, two country visits last year, and, and you've reported back on those visits. And in the report, you've documented levels of violence and human rights abuses at, I think, quite unprecedented levels, in particular due to the stronghold of gangs in the country. Can you give us an overview of, of what you've seen? Yes, I've been working in and on Haiti, not constantly, but starting 30 years ago, uh, off and on, and I have never seen it worse. The human rights situation in, in Haiti is a catastrophe on every level. So the main perpetrators, the main causes of human rights abuses and violations right now is the gangs. They are violent, brutal, and really show no mercy. They are well-armed. All the weapons and bullets come from the United States. There's not a single ammunition manufactured in Haiti. And their main credo is violence and control and power. There's no ideology. They're not about a political movement or religious affiliation or some kind of set of ideas or values. It's really all about who can control populations, money, and power. So you have kidnappings, torture, disappearances, executions, and kidnappings. That's probably their main source of income these days is through kidnappings and holding people for huge amounts of ransom. And then another element to the human rights catastrophe in Haiti is this gang violence and the impact on the ability to have access to basic human rights such as education, health care, clean water, housing, food all of which are at great, great risk for the vast majority of Haitians living in the capital. I should say the violence and the gang control, you're talking about Port-au-Prince and the surrounding areas, which 
in reality for Haiti is the economic, political, educational, every other element you could think of center of the country. Haiti's very centralized. So controlling Port-au-Prince and its outlying areas means you control huge segments of the economy and other elements of life. There are some gangs with very kind of, it's tricky to tell, but not much power or presence for now in the north and in the south and in areas outside of Port-au-Prince. But one concern is that with the arrival of the multinational force, which we hope will be soon, some gangs may relocate and try to reestablish themselves in parts of the country that for now have been free of gangs. So that's just something we all have to watch for. Thank you. And obviously, you're coming from a kind of human rights angle to this to this scenario. So when, when we talk about the, the multinational response that's being planned, led by Kenya, what are the key human rights concerns that and issues that you'll be looking out for? And what should that force be paying attention to when planning and designing its deployments? I think one major concern, and the Kenyans who are going to lead the force, is the use of force. So if it will become necessary for the multinational force to use uh, firearms, let's say, or any type of force, there will be a challenge because the gangs control areas that are primarily the slums, the very poor parts of the capital, which are densely populated. I mean, the Cité Soleil slum in Port-au-Prince is the largest of its kind in the Western Hemisphere. So it's densely populated. The gangs are totally interspersed, intermingled with the civilian population. They don't wear uniforms. They intentionally will use or hide or immerse themselves in within the population. So it could be very tricky for anybody, even for the Haitian National Police, with whom the force will be working. It's not going to be them just doing things on their own. They're going to be working in close cooperation with the Haitian National Police. And the Haitian National Police will clearly have a better read of the society and cultural and language issues. But even for them, it's hard. So I think that's one concern is that there may be civilians, non-gang members who would could be harmed or worse in some operations. The other concern, which is a sad kind of legacy of international interventions in Haiti in the past, has been sexual exploitation and abuse by previous elements, not everybody, but some peacekeepers and UN police in the past. And we hope that doesn't happen here. There's all kinds of training and vetting going on to try to send the very best and the most police with high degrees of integrity and training and judgment and good, good records. But you never know. You never know what can happen. And so there is a concern on that score. And then lastly, I think it's just the question of what happens when the gangs are brought under some type, let's say some minimal level of control. What happens to all those members? Then they're mostly youth. There are many, many teenagers, both boys, and there are some girls. So how are they going to be demobilized? Are they going to be threatened? And what measures will the force be able to take to make sure there is not revenge attacks or retribution that can be quite brutal in Haiti against people who might not be in gangs, they could just be suspected. So there's going to be a dynamic there where the international police, along with the Haitian police, are going to have to make some very difficult decisions in situations that are quite tense and stressful. I guess the other prong or the other arm of the response is the sanctions regime, which has been discussed. I, I believe a list needs to still be approved by the Security Council. Can you say anything about how effective you think these sanctions could be in a country in a, a situation like Haiti? I think Haiti actually provides a really great opportunity to have sanctions work. I mean, when I was there the last time, which was late October, early November, there were two questions most Haitians were asking me. They would ask first, when are the Kenyans coming? What's taking so long? We want them to come. We want the gangs off our necks. 
And the second question was, who is on the sanctions list, this famous list of individuals that the panel of experts, these are four independent experts who work for the sanctions committee of the Security Council that was created for Haiti. They've been doing great work investigating financial ties and records and property transfers and trying to track money and weapons and drugs and everything else that goes into organized crime and gang violence in Haiti. Also, they visited Colombia, the Dominican Republic, Florida, because they know a lot of the big politicians and some of the major oligarchs, business people, the ones who have been involved with supporting and paying and being allies with the gangs, have property, have assets, have all kinds of ties outside of Haiti. So they're trying to cross all those T's and dot those I's. And they have a list now, I'm told, of 15 people. And now it's up to the Security Council to decide if and when and how many of those names to publish. And then all 193 UN member states would be obliged to impose sanctions on those individuals. And I can tell you, people do not want to be on that list. I've talked to people who know business people who are very worried about being subject to sanctions because in this case, the sanctions are extremely targeted. You're talking about no visas, so they can't travel to Miami or Montreal or Paris or wherever, and their money could be frozen, credit cards taken away. And so this is something poor people just by definition do not have. So sometimes sanctions are criticized because they are seen as a blunt tool that harms people you're trying to help. In this case, I think that's totally different you will be very much targeting people who only could be harmed because they do have the assets and the wealth and the means to be doing the nefarious things they are doing. We've spoken about the law enforcement response and also the and other parts of the multilateral response, which is those those targeted sanctions. I think the other part of the response is the role that civil society can play, both locally and internationally. So do you have any views on what civil society can do to best support efforts in promoting peace? and in ensuring human rights, safeguards, and standards are upheld in Haiti. One of the, I mean, Haiti is often seen in a very negative light, and, and for good reason most of the time, whether it's earthquakes or gangs or presidents getting killed. But one of the bright spots in Haiti over many years now has been the strength of civil society, its endurance, its creativity, its perseverance, its talent, its bravery. And I think that's, for me, in my role now, but even before when I did work in Haiti, civil society groups, and that's defined very broadly, not just human rights groups, it can be sports clubs, farmers organizations, journalists associations, bar associations, they play a vital role in Haiti in many ways. One is they are sometimes the first line investigators. They're the ones discovering violations. They're the ones reporting and investigating, and sometimes at great risk to their own personal safety doing this work. Two, they then advocate. They provide strategies and advice to people like me, to the UN, to others. And then third, they also interact with their state to the extent they can. The Haitian state is very weak. It's corrupt, but there's some still good people in there. And they are also trying to push the state, their own government, whether it's the justice system, police, penal administration, educational system, healthcare, the Ministry of Health, whatever it is, they're pushing them to do their jobs, to make demands so that those state institutions fulfill their obligations to respect and protect and fulfill the rights of Haitians. And with regard to the, the gangs and the security of this, this upcoming, let's hope, multinational force, the civil society has crucial information about the gangs, like where they are, who the leader is, where the lookouts are, where the guns are stashed. They often know this. They're living in these neighborhoods. 
So where the money flow, where their weapons come in. So again, it could be dangerous for them, but I hope there'll be ways that they can safely share that information with the force, with the Haitian National Police at a proper moment in the proper way that would help make the force be more effective and efficient and successful. And then afterwards, I think they're going to play a huge role. They need to play a huge role in any efforts to try to bring Haitians back together because society's been torn apart. So for example, what do you do with a gang member, a kid, a 16-year-old who's no longer in the gang, made a big mistake, needs to be rehabilitated, needs to be re-educated, should not be sent to a prison, but how is society going to handle that and who's going to be able to try to convince people that that's the right thing to do and then how to do it properly? You won't be able to do any of that work just with outsiders. It's going to have to involve and maybe be led by civil society with support from people from outside. Well, Bill, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. You've definitely given a, a brief but very detailed overview of what's what's happening in Haiti, what the multilateral system is doing to respond, and why a multifaceted response is required. And hopefully we'll have some success, both using law enforcement responses, the UN, and also civil society. You've been listening to the UN and Organized Crime podcast from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Mm-hmm.